welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over 10 years of experience. And I'm Trisha, and I think that Anne of Cleves is my favorite wife of Henry VIII. And why is that? Well, let's just take a look at his six wives, shall we? Um, Catherine of Aragon, his first wife, was actually married to Henry's brother, and then he died, and then she married Henry, and that's just kind of weird. Like, that's keeping it in the family, if you ask me. And then she refused to divorce him when he wanted it. And I mean, I get it. I'm all for women's rights. But at the same time, your husband doesn't want you. Just move on, lady. What ended up happening? She He took away everything from her and she ended up dying alone, miserable death. So then there's Anne Boleyn. Now she was a homewrecker. I mean, she was brilliant and she did bring, you know, a different church to England and made it so that English people could read the Bible because it was printed only at Latin in the time, or in Latin at the time, and then she had it, you know, transcribed to English. But she was a nag. She was a stubborn. And uh, when Henry wanted to move on from her, she wouldn't let him, basically. And eventually he contrived a way to do so, and she was beheaded. So that was pretty dumb on her part. Jane Seymour, third wife, she was a schemer, a homewrecker, and she was boring AF. However, she did have his only son that was legitimized, so whatever. She died in childbirth. Then Catherine Howard, his fifth wife, she was young and dumb, and she let her uh, head get cut off because she couldn't keep it in her pants. So, lesson learned there. And then his final wife, Catherine Parr, she was okay. She was a good stepmom. Um, but she was also just kind of eh, boring. But you got Anna Cleves, his fourth wife. They were only married for six months. They weren't attracted to each other. He wanted an annulment. She read the room, realized that Henry was a crazy narcissist, and granted him that annulment. And because of that, she got lands, she got castles, she got an annuity. She was also regarded as the queen or the king's sister and was second only to the queen and the princesses in ranking in the land. She outlived all of his wives, and she outlived Henry. And I think she had a pretty damn good time doing it, too. So that is why Anne of Cleves, I think, is the bomb. Huzzah. I think those are really wonderful reasons for her to be your favorite. Thank you. All right. So, again, welcome to Addicted to Murder. We want to send out a big thank you to all of our listeners and fans um, and followers. It's always great to hear from you um, and see your responses to our podcast and the things we post on our social media. Um, but if you you know haven't checked out our social media yet, you can find us on Instagram at Addicted to M Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Addicted to Murder Podcast. Or you can reach out via email with questions or comments or things that you want to hear from us at addictedtomurderpodcast at gmail.com. I want to give a special shout out to my cousin Tara because when she listens to our podcast, Courtney, she like gives me play-by-play notes and it's pretty great. Thank you, Tara. Yes. Thank you, Tara. My Vegas cousin. Love you. See you soon. Okay. Well, I think it's question segment time. It is, it is. Okay, and it's my question today. Courtney, what is your biggest pet peeve? Ooh, that's a really good question. I would say my biggest pet peeve is probably people who 
are just inconsiderate for no reason. Mm. And just, like, really unaware like, of their surroundings. Like dicks? I mean, yeah, basically. So people that, like, don't notice that they're walking too close to someone. Mm. People who don't, you know, notice that someone's right behind them trying to come through the door. Mm-hmm. People who go into an elevator before people are allowed to exit the elevator. Just those, like, little inconsiderate things. Dicks and see you next Tuesdays. Sure. That's what I'd call them. All right. Well, mine's not as um, humble, I suppose. Mine's actually kind of stupid. But I can't stand it when the windshield wipers are going and it's not raining anymore. Like, if I'm in someone's car and they forget to turn the wipers off, it 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 makes me a little crazy and... That's. I mean, that's what it is. That's my biggest pet peeve. I mean, that kind of screeching noise that they make on dry glass is not I mean, pleasant. It's like, don't you notice? I don't know. But all right. Well, that was our question and answer segment with Courtney and Trisha. Yeah. This is another time where, if you want to ask us a specific question and have us answer during this part of our podcast, you can send us an email or a DM and. We will take all of their, your ideas into consideration. That would be awesome. Okay, well, we are on a brand new serial killer this week. We are. Yes, and he is someone I'd never heard of and Courtney had never heard of. And um, I'm kind of surprised because he actually could be, I mean, potentially a huge, huge serial killer as far as numbers. Right, right. But, uh, anyway, anyway, his name is Harvey Kerrigan, and on the West Coast, he is known as the Wantad Killer, and on the Midwest East Coast, he's known as Harvey the Hammer, or Harv the Hammer, and you'll see why. So, Harvey Louis Kerrigan was born May 18th, 1927, in Fargo, North Dakota. Harvey was an illegitimate child whose father was rumored to be a medical intern, and his mother is just really written about by many sources as a 20-year-old. It's peculiar that I was unable to find out her name. I looked for it all over, um, and even in the annual book I read, it, which is called The Wantag Killer, just so you know, um, it just said that she was an unmarried 20-something-year-old who was ill-equipped to care for children. Harvey's mother did marry when he was four and had a second child with her new husband. Harvey was an undersized child. He had failed to thrive and he had behavioral problems. His face would twitch when he was stressed and he wet his bed long after he should have outgrown it. He said that he felt unloved and that he was unlovable. So Harvey has huge gaps in his childhood um, until about the age of 11 memories um he did say when asked in a in court how he felt about his mother he said well she was pretty mean i don't like a lot of things that she did but i don't hate her harvey recounted that his mother was a prostitute and sometimes he would walk in on her while she was working his mom would get really upset when this happened and she would beat him Courtney, what can something like what harvey witnessed and then punished for um do to a young child Well, young children don't have brains that are developed enough to understand things like sex or sex work um, the way that adults do. So if walking in on his mother was his first exposure to sex, which it probably was, you know, it would likely have been really confusing and scary and, you know, also sort of new and intriguing as learning new things is when you're very young. It would be very normal for a kid to 
keep watching or to interrupt and ask, what are you doing? But then to have his mother react with, with such anger and violence, it would certainly have an impact on what would sort of become Harvey's hatred of women and that connection between sex and violence from a very young age. Right, sort of like Jerry Brudos's shoes. Right. When his mom's like got him or he got in trouble for wanting these shoes. Just makes you want them more. Exactly. So, um, Harvey claims to have been sexually abused by both a female relative and a female babysitter when he was very young. Harvey testified at a later date that the babysitter, quote, rubbed herself all over me. This had bothered him, and he didn't understand what was happening, but he just knew intrinsically that it wasn't right. In Anne Rule's book, she writes, quote, female breasts and genitals became weapons used to smother and suffocate him rather than objects of comfort and erotic fulfillment. Courtney, per Harvey, this treatment of him made him feel that women could hurt him and make him anxious and that he was too weak to do anything about it. When we're talking about a child who has been diagnosed with failure to thrive, as Harvey was, and is growing up in this environment of sexual and physical abuse, what can we expect? Also, um, is failure to thrive typical of parental neglect? So failure to thrive is a medical condition where an infant or a child fails to grow at the same rate as kind of his same age peers. So this can result in, you know, children just being smaller than average, so shorter, weighing less. Um, And it can also affect things like delaying motor skills, like rolling over, crawling, etc. And also delaying social skills sometimes. And so, you know, there are a lot of like medical conditions that can lead to failure to thrive. Um, But in Harvey's case, especially since, you know, he didn't stay really small and tiny, which we'll see later. um, My guess is that his failure to thrive was related to a combination of emotional neglect and possibly that lack of proper nutrition. You know, it was the Great Depression when he was growing up. Um, and it's reported that his mother was very poor and didn't, you know, know how to be a parent. So I wouldn't be surprised if she was not a very nurturing mother when he was a baby. And so, yes, he probably was likely to have felt helpless um, and unable to defend or take care of himself. Okay. Because Harvey was a chronic bedwetter, his mom sent him away to live with his aunt and with an aunt and uncle in another part of North Dakota. Harvey seemed to actually like living with these family members and he felt that he fit in well. He was very surprised when his aunt and uncle told him he had to leave and go back to his mom's house. By this time he was 11 and after only a few months with his mom, she sent him away again to a grandmother in yet another part, but this time back in Minnesota. But due to this, to his constant bedwetting, His grandmother could also not deal with her grandson and then sent him on to yet another aunt. By this time, Harvey just wanted to go home, so he ran away back to his mom's. Harvey also had an imaginary friend named Paul at this time. Courtney, this poor kid. Uh, We've learned that bedwetting can be caused by medical conditions or stress or abuse, and Harvey might have been dealing with all three of these things. What is this moving him around doing to him? And can you tell us a little bit about imaginary friendships? Yeah, so Harvey really didn't have a chance to turn out normal, 
Each time he was rejected by a family member and then sent to live with another family member only to be rejected again. You know, it just solidified for Harvey that there was something kind of fundamentally wrong with him, something that made him unlovable. And, you know, I would venture to guess that in his mind, there was some part that tied this unlovable part of him to the shame that he felt um, having been sexually abused. And so, in a way, it's as if he began to believe that not only will he just be rejected by all women, but that those who don't reject him right away um, will still plan to harm him in some way. And then when it comes to imaginary friends, it's a pretty normal thing to have when you're young. Kids create imaginary friends and keep them around sometimes for years. Um, But children who are frequently neglected or abused or isolated are more likely to develop kind of imaginary friendships that are very detailed and last longer than a typical kid's. And these kind of help as almost an escape or finding comfort from their circumstances and having this friend who's always there with them whenever they need them. And so for Harvey, you know, his imaginary friend, Paul, probably helped him get through many of the tough times of his childhood. So what you're saying is is very sad. I'm going back to the part about the women. He either is going to feel that he has already been rejected by them, or if they haven't rejected him yet, they're going to abuse him and hurt him. Yes. So, I, yeah, if he's, I mean, I, I mean, of course, he's, it's going to be in his mind that women are bad. They're either going to hurt him or they're going to reject him. Either way, it hurts. Or both. Or both. And then with the imaginary friend, um, now, do you think that this friend was visible to him in his head? Um, how does it really work with an imaginary friend? I never had one. I mean, I do have the, you know, constant dialogue in my brain. I don't (laughs) know if that's kind of how it works with kids, but can you explain a little bit more? Yeah, so it's not like they actually see them, like, standing in the room, Mm -hmm. um, but it's part of their imagination. They're able to imagine these characters sort of in in great detail Mm -hmm. um, in their mind. Okay. Well, Harvey began to steal things as a child. First, it was small objects, and then it, you know, became a bicycle. He seemed to be aware of his deficits in stature and, you know, that he was a bedwetter. And to boost his ego, he worked very hard at being smart. He was an avid reader, and he claimed to have been, quote, always mentally ahead of my companions. Harvey was growing very defensive, but he was also fragile and shy. Harvey is quoted as saying, I'd have to steal myself to talk. And when I would talk, especially in anger, which was often, I'd be vertulative and mean. Sorry, I don't think I said that word right. If I couldn't have friends, I'd have a reputation that they couldn't ignore me, even if they didn't admire me. They'd notice me one way or or the other. All my life, that has been my way. When someone did not give me attention I thought I deserved, I'd reach out and slap them, either with words or with my hands. That was my way of making sure they didn't ignore me treat me as if I didn't exist. If they didn't or couldn't love me, I made sure they hated me. I had to be foremost in their minds. Courtney, can you tell us your interpretation of what's occurring? What kind of diagnosis do you see forming in a preteen with this kind of reasoning? 
So I'm sure that kind of in all your reading and movie and TV watching, you've probably heard the advice that's often given to new prisoners that on their first day in jail, they should, you know, find the biggest, toughest guy in the room and pick a fight with them in order to gain respect and show the other prisoners that, like, you're not someone that can be messed with, as probably ineffective as that actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say that kind of Harvey's behavior on this time was sort of like the preteen version of that, where, you know, if he wasn't going to get attention by being small, shy, nice guy, then he would demand attention and respect by being demanding, tough, and mean. And, you know, when you're a a teenager, your brain development is in this place where social standing is really important. Um, And so it's much better in the teenage mind to be noticed and be hated than to be ignored when it comes to, like, fulfilling that kind of social connection need. So, you know, in terms of diagnosis, I think Harvey definitely could be diagnosed with PTSD based on all of the, you know, abuse and trauma he's experienced. And then I'd likely also kind of diagnose him with conduct disorder. And I know we've talked about conduct disorder a little bit in previous episodes, but kind of just a reminder, conduct disorder is, you know, kind of a a cluster of symptoms that includes aggressive and purposely cruel behavior towards animals or people. It includes um, using a weapon against others, threat or other theft or other crimes, um, threatening others, property destruction, running away, um, kind of other things similar to that. And then at least four of these have to be present, occur for at least six months, and begin before age 13. And so kind of based on that criteria, I think we can see that Harvey definitely fits the bill. Okay. Well, Harvey explains that at this time, he just wanted to be with his mom, this poor kid. But she did not want him. She even attempted to put him into an orphanage. But there were no vacancies at the orphanage nearby, so instead she sent him off to reform school. He remained in a reform school in Mandan, North Dakota for seven years. Courtney, can you explain to us what he might have encountered at a reform school and what this kind of lifestyle does to a child, especially one like Harvey? Yeah, so reform schools at that time were kind of like a mixture of of boarding school and prison. It was sort of the first attempt at having like a juvenile justice system. Um, So kids were sent to reform schools, usually um, after committing some sort of crime, except for murder. Murder was big boy jail. Um, They could also be sent there for being deemed kind of like incorrigible and, you know, surrendered by their parents. Or they could be sent there um, if a judge determines that their parents were unfit and unable to care for them. So... You know, there's a lot of rules and structure and routine in reform school, similar to those in prison, right? You wake up at a certain time, you do bed checks, uniform checks, you go to school, you do chores, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all like at certain times. And, you know, the the goal of these facilities was supposed to be, you know, reformation after all. And so the staff were sort of trying to instill values of, hard work and respect and all of those things um, so that students could leave when they age out with skills to live a better life. 
And in many ways, you know, they were successful at this. However, it often came at a great cost to the students themselves, as, you know, stories of harsh verbal, physical, and sexual abuse were pretty common. So for a kid like Harvey, this was probably the first time he'd ever really been in a structured environment and in one that met his basic needs consistently as well. His days would be predictable, and the structure would, for the most part, keep him out of too much mischief. You know, there's not a lot of, a lot of opportunity to, you know, mm-hmm. get in trouble right. when everything's locked down like that. Um, and often, you know, kids coming from chaotic backgrounds eventually do really well in these settings. Although, if they stay too long, they can become dependent on this imposed structure to be able to manage their emotions and behaviors. And this is referred to as, you know, being institutionalized. So they need the institution in order to, like, keep it together. You and I watched that documentary, and Harvey in it said that he at this reform school, he had constant food, place to stay, um, stuff that he wasn't getting at home, you know, so... Mm-hmm. He didn't seem to hate it from what I've read or anything. So, yeah, I'm sure that this structure did help him. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, in a way. Um, well, so Harvey claims the real reason his mom put him into the reform school in the first place was because he had a medical condition known as St. Vitus's Dance, which is also known as childhood chorea, which can cause uncontrollable body tics. Courtney, what do you think? Is this a psychological response to trauma, meaning his tics, um, or do you think he really had a medical condition? Now, I had never heard of chorea before um, now, so I had to do some research about it. Um, And I found that the vast majority of cases of childhood chorea are linked to having had rheumatic fever. Um, So... Symptoms of the chorea can, you know, start up during the course of the virus or kind of up to six months after even. Um, And in addition to the tics, there can also be some like behavioral challenges that often accompany them, such as difficulty regulating emotions, um, being inattentive and impulsive. So kind of mimicking what we would call like ADHD today. Mm -hmm. Um, and this condition typically goes away on its own, um, as the kids grow up, although it can, you know, stick around for years. Um, and we did see that in, you know, Harvey's case, he did grow out of it. They eventually stopped. Um, and so it kind of reminds me of a different condition that is slightly more well-known, although still pretty rare, um, which is called PANDAS. And I could tell you what the, um acronym stands for, but I'm not going to because it's long. (laughs) But basically, um, PANDAS is linked to strep throat and causes, you know, kids to have symptoms that are almost mimicking OCD. Okay. So do you think with Harvey, it was a medical thing or do you think that his stress caused his tics and his behavior or do you think it's anyone's guess? If I were to guess, I'd probably say it was a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. You know, rheumatic fever was pretty common at the time Mm -hmm. that he was growing up. um, And likely, he didn't get great medical care 
right. for it if he had it when he was young. And then, you know, we also know that when it comes to tics and behaviors and things like that, stress just exacerbates things that are already there. Okay. Well, now Harvey was again a small child, and so he was beaten up a bit in the school before they separated him into a different room with another small student. He claims that although men did work at this facility, it was mostly women that he interacted with. This is a quote on how these women would punish the students. A lot of times they'd punish you for no reason, and the way they would do it would be funny. They would hold you up against their breasts or their stomachs or something like they were trying to choke you and stuff like that. Harvey was raised as a Roman Catholic and as such was subject to the confusing world of the church. Original sin and the fact that women were to be respected was one thing, but then why had so many women done evil things to him? He had a hard time wrapping his head around all of this. So again, he's being subjected to potential abuse by female authoritarian figures. The men in his life seem to either be absent or just not involved in his care. Prior to him being sent to reform school, his stepfather did plead with Harvey's mom and the judge to just give Harvey one more try at home, but his mom was insistent that she could not care for him and basically signed him over to the state. Harvey didn't say if she visited him during his seven-year stay, but I just have a feeling that she didn't. Courtney, do you have any thoughts before we move off from his childhood? I could probably say a lot more than we already have and probably more than we have time for. But I'll just say that if there was anybody whose childhood could understandably lead to feeling rejected by and hating women, it would be Harvey's. Yeah. Poor kid. Well, at 18, Harvey was released uh, into the world. A lot had changed since he had went into the reform school. He explained in that documentary we referenced that he had never even seen a traffic light before. So I imagine coming out after seven years, you know, so much innovations had had occurred pretty much as soon as he got out he signed up for the military by now harvey had outgrown his bedwetting and was no longer a malnourished little boy he was well over six feet tall and he was very strong and at some point harvey during his time in the military was sent and stationed in alaska okay so fast forward to july 31st 1949 there was a man walking through a park who heard weird noises and he looked around and he saw uh, what looked like a struggle in the grass. Um, it was sort of dark out, but, you know, still light enough for him to kind of see some features. And he started to walk towards them thinking that he needed to help. And one of the people in the struggle yelled out, move on. And so the man turned around and did. He thought he was interrupting, like, you know, a couple get, you know, doing something, something, something in the park. And um, so he left. But the next day, he was walking again in that park, and he went back to the spot. He did not find the man there, but he did find the body of a woman. When the authorities were called, the cause of death was severe brain damage due to blunt force trauma, and her face was completely destroyed, and it was determined it was done by human fists. There was also evidence of attempted rape, but it was not determined that she actually was raped. <clears throat> she was identified as 57-year-old Laura Showalter. Two months later, a woman by the name of Dorcas Callan ran into an intoxicated soldier on the street. It was in the morning. The man tried to get her to get into a car with him, but she refused to and she was scared. The man then grabbed her and dragged her down the street and into a ditch. He attempted to rip off her clothes to rape her, but somehow she was able to drag herself out of the ditch and run across the street to a tavern. 
She reported what happened to the police and was able to give a good description of the man who had done this to her. The police was able to find her attacker and identified him as Harvey Kerrigan, who was now 22 years old. Harvey was identified in the lineup by Dorcas and then also by the man in the park. Harvey was arrested for the assault of Dorcas Callan. So, Courtney, Harvey is grabbing women off the streets during daytime hours. He's raping and killing women in public parks when it's not even dark out. Um, What can you tell us about this behavior? So, this type of brazen attack speaks really to a high level of impulsivity and little or no regard for potential consequences of his behaviors. So, either he simply didn't think at all about the potential of getting caught Um, or he was so overconfident that he just believed that he could get away with it if he was caught. Um, You know, my bet would be that Harvey was not able to control that urge that he had to rape and kill when he saw Laura or Dorcas on the street. And, you know, since he had spent so much of his formative years at reform school, He missed out on learning kind of those societal norms and expectations, as well as learning the skills needed to control his urges and his behaviors. Um, Because, you know, the environment there, like we said, was so naturally kind of controlled for him that he would never have to learn how to stop himself because there was never an opportunity to practice. So because potentially he was institutionalized, Um, for so long and kind of came out with that mentality he would be so used to people stopping him from doing bad things and there was no one there to stop him to do those bad things so he just did them and didn't really think about it is that what you're saying essentially yeah okay huh all right harvey agreed to talk with the police but he was afraid to say too much because as he put it quote i was afraid to say more because you might not believe me i'm afraid my neck would stretch So he said this neck would stretch thing because at the time, the death penalty in Alaska was by hanging. Harvey was assured that there had not been a hanging in Alaska for 30 years. And after 30 hours of talking with the marshal assigned to his case and speaking to priests and eventually being told by the marshal that, quote, you can only set yourself right in the eyes of our maker, Harvey, by confessing true facts. So after a lot of near promises that Harvey would not hang, Harvey confessed to the murder of Laura Showalter. Harvey then went on trial in 1950 for first-degree murder, where he was sentenced to hang, to die in the gallows. Courtney, this is not the end of the story by any means. Anything you want to say before we stop for the day? You know, the, the humanity in me truly wishes that this was the end of the story, because I know what comes next. Mm-hmm. But, the, the, you know, the curious and the morbid part of me is also happy it's not because there's so much more to talk about there is this case is crazy and i get what you're saying of course humanity is precious and sacred but now we're just kind of discovering what happened and uh, we're gonna talk about it and there's a lot more to talk about yes this case is crazy crazy. and i'm so surprised that more people don't know about this guy yeah yeah i had you know thank you ann rule Basically, I just bought every book she had. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good place to start. Yeah, she's a great writer. All right, well, um, thanks for listening, and please send us your messages, your comments, your DMs, all that good stuff. We are really quick at getting back to you if you do have anything to say, and we will 
See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.